It is the Dynasty Podcast Rocket Live Panelcast Series, recorded live at Rocket Bar and Grill in Chicago. My name is Jaime Black. I host this series every month at Rocket Bar and Grill, with the podcast of the panel posting online at chicagoverseunited.com. This month, the How Artists Make Money in the New Music Business Rocket Live Panelcast, featuring William Beckett, Miss Alex White of White Mystery, John Williamson of Music Dealers, and Mark Rose. Here's how that panel sounded. All right. How's everybody doing tonight? Uh, thank you to everybody for coming out tonight, uh, Braving the Rain. It's an awesome night to have everyone here at Rocket, uh, Rocket Barn Grill. My name is Haima Black. I'm the host of Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. Um, thank you. This is a live panel series that we do here once a month. It's a live music industry panel discussion. And tonight, we have a fantastic lineup that I could not be more excited to have here. Uh, we're going to be discussing the topic is how artists make money in the new music business. So we couldn't have asked for a better panel to discuss just those topics. Um, joining me tonight, I'm going to kind of do a quick introduction, and then I'm going to have them tell you a little bit about themselves. We have William Beckett, of course, noted singer-songwriter, former frontman for the Academy Is, and also accomplished solo artist right now. Uh, John Williamson, COO of Music Dealers and co-founder of the company as well. We have Mark Rose next to him. Mark Rose, formerly of Spitalfield and also an accomplished singer-songwriter, solo artist on his own, and one of the co-founders of a very cool new company called Downright that he's going to tell you about. And then, of course, Miss Alex White with White Mystery, fantastic female vocalist, guitarist, like front woman in the city. She just demolished Riot Fest yesterday. It was fantastic. So really could not be more excited to have everyone on this panel tonight. And, you know, if you guys want to go down, I know I just did a kind of a quick introduction, but if you want to go down, give the audience, listeners, everybody kind of a rundown of who you are and kind of your connection to this topic, you know, how artists make money in the new music industry. I would love to hear that. Well, hello. I'm William, as he just said. And um, I've been touring uh, in a band for nine years, and I just recently went solo. And uh, I was on a major record label for pretty much the entirety of that time and recently have um, struck out as a, uh, a solo artist in all aspects. So um, I'm independent and I own all of my music at this point. And um, basically just coming at it from a fan's perspective and being true to, uh, to the music first and the fan uh, in conjunction. So that's what, I'm, uh, that's what I'm all about. John Williamson. Um, I co-found a company called Music Dealers about four years ago, and my company takes artists and connects them to, to brands and television opportunities and film and video games and things of that sort. So I guess I'm speaking on this panel, um, again, talking about like alternate revenue sources for artists and, and how to continue making a living in the music business. All right. I'm Mark Rose. I, uh, I'm a singer-songwriter, and I um, used to be a songwriter in a band called Spittlefield for a long while. And after the band broke up, I started doing my own solo material and started releasing music completely independently and um, trying to do a little bit of everything to figure out what it is that I can do and what it is I need some help from others um, to do and how to make music my full-time 
uh, career. And also, um, as a songwriter, I'm excited to be a part of a project and a new company called Downright, which is going to be a, uh, a site for connecting songwriters and artists with their with their fans and with people who need custom music written for them, and and really to focus on and enable songwriters to find ways to to make money and have work doing what they love to do, which is write music. So that's that's why I'm here. <laughs> Cool. I'm Alex White. How are you? It's a pleasure to be here. I describe what I do as being a musician entrepreneur, where I've been playing guitar and making albums for half my life and doing it full time for the last two years. I uh, started my first record label in high school and uh, just happy to be here and answer some questions. Well, awesome. And, you know, something I forgot to mention, very important um, for everyone here and everyone listening at home, you know, whether Mixler or Ustream, the hashtag for tonight is Rocket Live. So like the name of the venue, Rocket, and then Live. All one word, Rocket Live is the hashtag. Um, that out of the way, let's kind of move into some of the first line of questioning, which I think the biggest question I had was, you know, and I'm really interested in the artist take here, but also, John, I know you're going to have a great perspective of this as well. How difficult really is it for artists to make money in the current music business in this climate? You know, like, is it as hard as everyone thinks? Is it harder? Well, I think that it just depends on, on the situation that you're in as an artist. Um, I, I know that for a fact that a lot of artists who are signing to major labels at this point in time are kind of handcuffed, and um, you can find yourself in a situation where you may see that advance check, but that may be the last check that you see for uh, an extended period of time, like even over you know, a year or two, while in the meantime not being able to release any of your, your own music that you are, uh, are writing. Um, so that's sort of an extreme e example, but it actually happens a lot more often than not. But I feel like when it comes down to it, you need to be honest with yourself about the changing climate of this industry and how people hear music and how people want to hear music. So I feel like it takes a certain amount of adaptation and, um, and uh, you know, I guess uh, experimentation to try some new things out, try some new mediums of how to get music out and, uh, and, and have fun with it. Yeah, I, I think um, the music world has, has gone digital and everybody, everybody knows that. And the, the downside to everything going digital is that less people are purchasing albums. And that used to be a really big part of how artists would be able to stay um, on the road and pay their bills. It was through record sales. And that's really not, not a thing anymore. So the, uh, the upside to it is that music is more available than ever. So whether it's you know, Spotify or whatever, you're just you know, a few clicks away from discovering what could be your new favorite artist. So now it's the artist's job to get out there and, and, and perform and for you to go see them or for the artist to find other ways to, to pay their bills if it's not through the actual recorded music. Um, and and I, I think that ultimately, you know, on one level, it is a little bit oversaturated now. Like, there, it, it's kind of crazy that anybody, any independent musician could be on the biggest music retailer in the world, which is iTunes, um, within a few days of recording a song. It's kind of insane if you think about it that somebody could have a, a garage band set up on their, on their MacBook, record, write a song, record a song, and get it online for sale within a few days. Um, and you want to look at that as a good thing because it's, it's an amazing thing, but it's also a little bit intimidating as a songwriter to realize that 
the, the playing field has been leveled. So you're going to have all different levels of talent on there. And then you start getting into the question of who are you supporting for what reason, what records are you buying, what are you downloading illegally, who are you going to see, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's just taking all that and not being bummed about it, but adapting to it to say how then can I spin this so that I can continue to do this full time and you know not have to rely on a minimum you know hour or minimum wage job like when you're home between touring and then touring less because of that looking at the reasons why it's hard for artists to make a living is it some of the things that you know people just automatically come to the conclusion of like you know illegal downloading and the bad economy or does it really go deeper than that is it is it more than just these kind of uh, surface reasons well, I mean, the whole format's different. I mean, you know, it's like Mark was saying, everything's digital now. You can go on YouTube and, you know, stream your favorite song as opposed to buying it on YouTube, you know, uh, you know, on iTunes or, uh, you know, the actual CD, if, if that exists anymore. But, you know, I really think that it, it comes down to uh, embracing other mediums, which I think that John could, you know, uh, could uh, expand on that. I actually think it comes down to, to mindset. So before I came up here, I was having a conversation with a band, said they just released the record in June, and my question was, how's the record doing? And in the past, that question, it would have been followed by, it sold X amount of copies. But now that question means, is that record acting as a vehicle for you to do what you wanna do with your music? So if you're looking at, at your record in that in that light as a vehicle to do other things to earn money within music then i, th I think that's step one um the, the the beautiful thing in in today's music industry in my opinion is so many companies such as music dealers that are looking at artist relationships as partnerships rather than like sucking your soul and, and taking ownership of everything that you've ever created they're looking at it like, what can we do together to, to take your music and bring it to the next level and inject some, some type of, of dollars so you can continue doing what you love to do? Yeah, and I'm coming from the perspective of an independent musician who also releases their own vinyl, CD, mail orders it, books the shows, and manages the licensing. So the question of this panel is, you know, how do musicians make money in the modern music industry? In my own perspective, it's doing everything and releasing music in every medium possible. So tape cassettes, vinyl, CDs, digital downloads, licensing music to a variety of different opportunities and placements. And it makes it fun. The diversity makes it really fun for me. So one day we're printing underwear, and the other day we're flying to Richmond, Virginia to open for garbage. So. It uh, eliminates the need for the job in between tours by just taking the reins and really running with what helps you become successful. Yeah, and I, and I think the one of the key words that you touched on there is, is successful because um, I think a lot of people have different definitions of what you know successful is, especially musicians. Um, you know, somebody that that feels successful because they're able to do what they love to do versus somebody who does it on such a quote-unquote successful level that they'll never have to do anything else. Um, and, and I think, uh, like, like John had mentioned and, and like you just touched on, it's, it's kind of like 
finding those opportunities and really harnessing them and in finding the people that you can connect with that can really be a part of the whole thing, be a part of the experience and not necessarily sign away your, your life and your rights to everything you're doing for that opportunity. Find people who care about you as an artist and also care about the music, connecting with people who are music fans, um, not just someone who thinks they can make some money off of you. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's definitely keeping, keeping your mind open to opportunities as well. Like, I don't know, five years ago, if you were an artist or a band and you linked with a brand, that could be looked at as selling out. Now brands are, again, those vehicles for you to get to the next, to the next space. I mean, if, if, if you're an artist and, and you link with a brand like Coca-Cola and they put half a billion dollars into a media buy, which has your song in it, I mean, that's, that's more than a label could ever do for you. And at the end of the day, it's non-recoupable. So it's even cooler. Yeah, and you're not uh, uh, shackled to a long-term deal in that situation either. Right. And, and, and definitely within those brand partnerships, obviously the brand and the artist still has to align. I mean, if you're like a hardcore metal band, you're not going to do a Tampax ad. <laughs> that was my next play. I mean, that was, that was my next big goal. Was I, I wouldn't that. rule it out, really. We, yeah. We're, we're, yeah, we're actually, exactly. music dealers is actually pretty big in the, in the feminine hygiene. All right, topic. we'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> well, you know, I wanted to connect with each of the four of you, you know, very briefly on kind of why I selected you guys for the panel, why I'm so happy to have you here. And John, I wanted to start with you. You know, obviously, your work with Music Dealers, which is a company that specializes in music licensing, but maybe everyone doesn't know what that means. Kind of like music licensing, like what does it do for an artist and what are some of the benefits and how does it work? So when, when we're talking about licensing, we're, we're specifically talking about sync because there's a whole bunch of variations of licensing. So sync is basically anytime you're watching television and hear music sync to picture. Um, anytime you're on a website and there's a streaming video with a piece of music to it. Those, the, the, the content producers had to pay to license that piece of music, the, the use of that piece of music. So that's, that's kind of the definition of licensing, and, and, and that's what it's about. Um, in regards to, to the possibilities within licensing, it's between a five and six billion dollar a year industry for sync. Um, it's obviously rather sub, rather substantial. I think it's it's outgrowing music sales um, exponentially right now. So the idea again of placing your music in an advertisement and getting a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for it is is reality, and it's reality for independent artists and companies such as music dealers. They kind of help level the playing field to to give those larger opportunities to to more unknown bands. William, you have been doing work for, I want to say like half a year, a year now maybe, uh, with a platform called Stage It. And, you know, I, mean, I want to let you explain, but Stage It, I'm curious, like, how has that been beneficial for you? How has it helped you connect with your audience or, you know, bring in some kind of return or revenue, you know, for you as an artist? Right. So, I mean, going back to what Alex was saying earlier about when you're an independent artist, you're doing everything. And um, at when I was in a band... I relied heavily on everyone else. I was just a singer. I could just like hang out all day, you know, go talk to fans afterwards, which was always important to me. What 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 really connected me with from my music in a studio to performing on a stage was the interaction with the people. 
And um, I really feel like, oh yeah, I think so? <laughs> <laughs> this guy over here. Um, it really comes down to, 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 to trying and, 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 uh, and experimenting with, with many, many, many platforms with what you do in music. And for me, Stage It was a really interesting idea because it was something that I could do from the road. It was something I could do uh, when I was home or even in the studio. So basically what StageIt.com is, if, if you're not aware, it's a, it's a website in which um, they host sort of uh, like live streaming shows. So it's, 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 a, it's sort of like the same concept as far as the stream goes as, as you stream, but much, much different. It's much higher quality um, and it benefits equally the artist as well as the fan, the listener. Um, because you could, it has a lot of, of you know, flexibility in, in what you can do with it. One of the things that draws me to it most is that I can be in a centralized location anywhere and play for people across the world as long as they have an internet connection. And um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to put a strain on, on you know, the viewer's wallet either because you can set it up to um, be something that they can pay what they want. But what I do with Stage It is I like to, to take it a step further, and um, once I'm, I'm doing the show, the, the interaction is what it's all about. So if someone wants to hear a song, um, you know, there's a, a chat room, and I, I see it, and I, I struggle with keeping up with it because it kind of looks like <laughs> the Matrix, you know? But um, uh, there's a system where you can tip, and that's where um, I've, I've you know, been able to make some money on the side when I'm not on tour, and it's been a very, very uh, um, useful tool, not only to make money um, and sustain this independent um, business that I've, I've just begun this year, but um, it's, it's a really exciting way to connect further with my fan base, which that's beyond Twitter, that's beyond Tumblr, all the things that, that, I, that I've you know, been doing since the, they came out. This is sort of another way to, uh, to really get back to the music and the performance of it. And it's, it, it's an exciting new way to, uh, to have that connection. So it's been a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. Mark Rose, talk about Downright, what that is, how it benefits artists, and also how it's going to benefit listeners and you know how, how that connection can be made through that service that you're launching. Yeah. So, so Downright... And that's spelled like with a W-R-I-T-E. Um, is really going to focus on on uh, connecting songwriters with with their fans and with other people who want music written for them. And I actually just recently listened to uh, this podcast that was Alec Baldwin um, interviewing Billy Joel, and he was talking about how one of the biggest moments in his career is when he could separate being a songwriter and being a singer-songwriter and deciding that he was going to also sing songs that he wrote, um, but how he could also kind of turn off who he is as a performer and turn on writing music for somebody, whether it's another artist or in this case, it would be you know, for a fan or a small business or an independent film or something. And, and I think um, ultimately, one of the struggles that an independent artist would face would be um, finding ways to make money writing music. Uh, you know, you're a songwriter, but you're writing music for yourself. So it's kind of like I find myself um, writing songs that I may or may not ever release because they don't really fit what I do. Um, 
and then and then a site like Downright would enable me to be like, hey, if you need something, you know, written for you, whether it's something for your significant other, significant other, or a present, or you know, for your your commercial for your small business or whatever, it'd be a way that you could come to me or to anybody else on the site and say, hey, I, this is what I need. Can you do it? And I'm going to give you the paints, and you're going to paint me this. And and I think that um, that's really exciting. So I'm excited to not only run the site. You know, as as somebody behind the scenes, but also to use the site as a songwriter, as a way to have some extra income, doing what you love doing. And I feel like the problem that an independent artist would face if they didn't have a service like this would be putting out there to their fans and feeling the word the word that I use and, and my friend Bob, who you know co like co-founded the site with me, is is feeling a little bit dirty, saying, "Hey guys, I can write music for money." You know, you don't you feel weird saying that. You feel weird talking to your fans about how much money it takes to do something because that's a relationship that you don't, you don't want to cross that line with them. But if there's a service that you're providing that says, hey, if you need something, I can do it and this is what it takes, I think that's really cool. So that's what we're trying to do and we're going to expand from there um, to find ways to say, what are you down to do as an artist? Are you down to, to write someone a song? Are you down to perform on their record? Are you down to co-write a song with them? Are you down to produce a song or maybe play in their band? Like, what do you what do you want to do? Like a glorified Craigslist and maybe a little bit cooler than that. So something. Of that course, we're... you would say that it's cooler than that, Mark. Well, <laughs> Craigslist is really cool, but no, it's not <laughs> cooler than that if you can imagine. I like it. Yeah. Um, and Miss Alex White, obviously, uh, you know, front woman and entrepreneur, and you really. You run White Mystery just like a well-oiled machine. You know, you guys are firing on all cylinders on stage and off. So, you know, as someone who's managing her band's career, you know, from the artist perspective as well, like, what roles are you cutting out and what are the benefits that you're seeing in taking control of your career instead of having, you know, a manager, a booker, and all these 10 other people helping you? Well, I come from a, a punk DIY kind of perspective where it's do it yourself. If you want to have your music released out there, figure out a way to do it. Um, so basically, my role in White Mystery is booking 200 shows a year, placing our music on MTV and Viacom and uh, nationwide commercials for Levi's and other delightful products. Um, Securing sponsorships, so we just got a free car from Scion to tour in. That's pretty cool. Um, finding brands that we can align with that support what we believe in, which is playing rock and roll. Uh, so it's been pretty cool. Um, it's just my brother and me. He drives me around, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> and he moves the equipment, and then you know I spend all day like drinking coffee and answering emails, and uh, then I play at night. And it keeps uh, life very interesting. Like I was saying, I like diverse activities and diverse mediums to consume music, you know, whether it's a 45 or, you know, on YouTube or something like that. So we produce videos, and it's just, you know, if we have an idea, we try to find a way to execute it. And, uh, you know, that's the path that everyone needs to figure out for themselves, which is what are those things that you're trying to accomplish and what's the path to get there and to fund it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been pretty fun. We, uh, we're leaving on a two-month tour on Wednesday, uh, recording our third album in the middle of it, and uh, just doing a lot of wacky stuff. It's I great. I like it. You know, um... <laughs> <laughs> wacky. Jazz hands. <laughs> 
Let's talk about crowdsourcing. You know, obviously, I think the big story in crowdsourcing recently is Amanda Palmer, who just raised over a million dollars on her Kickstarter, which is very much not the typical end result of a Kickstarter campaign, but she had this huge, enormous return. What are you, you know, what's everyone's thoughts on crowdsourcing and, and Kickstarter and, you know, kind of that whole avenue for revenue and funding? She also doesn't want to pay her backing band. Yeah, that's that the other. Too. That's the aside to that. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> I I think um I think it, it's really it, it is a cool and innovative and beautiful thing that that fans can can support the artists that they want to support through platforms like Kickstarter um, or or Feed the Muse or I think there, there's a there's a handful of them and I think Kickstarter is the biggest um, currently. But, you know, at the end of the day, I I personally feel like it's cool to do some fundraising and, and to allow your fans, give them the opportunity to find ways to support you. But I also think it's important not to rely on that and to, um, and to, and to also, you know, focus on what it is you initially set out to do, which is, you know, create the best art that you can create and, um, you know, find find the ways to get that, that art into the hands and to the eyes and the ears of you know, as many people as possible, so that it can become a self-sustaining thing. Because at the end of that Kickstarter, the money stops. And I think Amanda Palmer in particular somehow lost that million dollars. So I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Um, there's a lot of artists that are just getting by paying their rent in Logan Square, you know, and not really living a, a very, um, I don't know, I, I, a very, a very lavish. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that kind of life. Um, and, and again, it goes back to your definition of success, whatever you can do to make it work. And of course, there's nothing wrong with, with um, hitting a certain level of success where you can really start to enjoy some things in life. And, and, I, and I, I don't know, I, I really, I think that crowdsourcing has been, has been really cool for a lot of people and it just, and, and I hope it continues to grow and develop and, and, and evolve. I just hope that artists aren't relying on that. It's you got these bands that, you know, don't have a fan base or haven't really been out there to experience what the real world is of making music, and they're expecting to raise all this money from people. And I don't know. I, I've, I'm not a huge fan of that, to be honest. Our business model, uh, a big portion of it, is essentially based on crowdsourced content from artists. So a brand will come to us and say they're looking for a particular song with their five notes from their brand integrated into the song. And then we send out blasts to our artist community of 16,000 plus artists. And we're getting back spec work. So we're getting back custom demos. And then we then take those and we go through them and pick the best stuff and present to the client. And then the client narrows things down. So the idea of, of utilizing crowdsourcing in, in, in that manner, not necessarily the fundraising manner, but crowdsourcing content is awesome for us. I mean, it helps, it essentially helps level the playing field and then uh, eventually bring the best to the top. So that's a really good point. You know, I think the people don't really, I mean, I, I haven't really thought of it from that perspective. So that's really interesting. But when it, when it comes down to, uh, to you know, uh, being reliant on these things, and, you know, I think that Mark made a really good point, and um, it comes down to, I think, work ethic and, and, like, how you came up as an artist. From an artist's perspective, I, I also started very DIY. We used to, you know, 
we'd fly our own stuff, we'd make our own demos, we would stand outside in the rain, outside of Metro, outside of House of Blues, give our CDs to everyone, just be peddling, 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 we'd make our own t-shirts, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, Without that kind of work ethic, I think that, that the human-to-human the, the, the -human contact when it, when it comes to music is so important um, for an artist, for a, a performer as well. Um, and when you can throw up a Kickstarter, I mean, I've met you know, a plethora of young bands, baby bands, that, uh, that, that have their Kickstarter up and they're, they're just complaining to me like, like why, isn't it, why isn't it hitting? Like, what's, what's going on? We have our Facebook going on like like we all tweet daily and we tweet at famous people and and all that but it really comes down to to it's it's a lot more than that and and a lot of it does come down to i think most of it comes down to the content and what you stand for as an artist so you know i think in order to sustain uh, a lucrative uh successful career and success you know being whatever the artist himself or herself uh views that to be it comes down to the content in which you're putting out. So it's about building that foundation. Yes. I mean, it, it's literally the difference between like a startup that off jump is completely funded by VCs and has boatloads of money and they can make as many mistakes as possible and don't even have to have a product versus uh, a, a startup that clearly defines their target, clearly has a product, figures out how to generate revenue and then gets funding. I mean, it's they, yeah, along the same lines. They pour the concrete and let it set first. The way we started when we were in high school, where we decided we wanted to put out a vinyl record, was we played a ton of shows, saved the cash, and then we made our record available for pre-order. So it was maybe kind of a similar concept, where you're you're putting a goal out there. It was maybe more in disguise. We didn't realize what we were doing, but we were pre-selling our records, and before you know it you have enough sold that you can fund your project. So it's nice that something like Kickstarter exists to streamline that process for people who have an idea, but the real goal should be how do you multiply that money and create a return on it? Right, and, and I think that like, you know, at, at the end of the day, like having the ability to, to fund a specific project or to get people behind something in particular that you're trying to do is really cool and that it's really that's awesome that can be utilized so don't you know don't miss mishear what i'm saying to think that i don't think it's a good idea but what i do think is that you don't want to be reliant on that income solely and you got to find ways to to get your hustle on doing other things yes you know? get your hustle on i mean i think that you're wearing the shirt for the moment here john's wearing a shirt that says return of the hustle uh, yeah <laughs> oh, bring it back Let's talk about streaming services, because streaming is such a predominant part of the music experience, both for the artists and listeners and the industry and on all sides. You know, I was looking at, what was it, Devolver.fm, which is a great website, music and tech content, articles, stuff like that. They were talking about, they cited an article claiming streaming, uh, streaming revenue for artists as roughly, and this is a quote, 0 .003 cents from iTunes Match, and 0.001 cent from Spotify. How do these kind of services benefit artists? Like, do you look at it as it's putting your music out there to people and it's exposure? Or do you think like, oh my God, I gotta hit like a million plays just to get, you know, minimum wage out of this? I mean, that's a very fine line and, and that's a, you know, that's a good argument. Uh, I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer because I feel like 
getting your, your music out there, particularly in, in the world that we live in, when people don't really just go out on a limb and buy a record, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll find a way to, to stream it. Everyone puts the record on Spotify, except who didn't? Coldplay didn't put the record on Spotify, I don't think, but... Until you're big enough to say you don't need it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Coldplay did. They don't need to stream their, you know, their, uh, their record anywhere to sell it, but, um, you know, I feel like it's, 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 uh, it's wishy-washy because to stream an entire record, you feel like you're kind of giving it away. But at the same time, when it's a new project, you know, it, it, for me, I feel like it's it's kind of comparable to like handing out samplers at a festival, you know, sampler CDs at a festival. That's that's like how a ton of people heard about my band, like on Warp Tour or whether it was uh, at Bamboozled or any of those, um, you know, emo punk rock festivals that I played. At, <laughs> I, I think whatever your opinion is on this, it's it's necessary to be consistent. Right. Like when when I was in the business of pushing records to radio and things of that sort, I, I I I've constantly seen people pay for radio play and drop big dollars to get their songs played on radio, and now those will be the same people that are complaining about not getting paid for streaming. So. I, I think whatever your view of the situation is, like you should definitely be consistent with that opinion. I mean, like I said earlier, it kind of goes to the mindset. Is, is, is the product the band and the music, or is the product that, that physical download or, or compact disc? Right, and that really goes into what we're talking about here, is, is, is spreading out the ways that you can monetize your art. And it's not only... Like it's clearly not only in the music, obviously, uh, in the MP3 that's on the internet, whether someone downloads it or not. That's we're not making a lot of money on that anyway. So um, yeah, I think it's a really good point with being consistent. Yeah, you, you just find that way to spin it and to um, and to utilize it. Really, I mean, the reality is that you could be on Spotify, but if you don't have anybody listening to it, it doesn't really matter that you're on Spotify. You know, and if you're if you're on Spotify and someone he hears something and likes it and tells a friend and they see their playlist, their friend made and this, that and the other. If you start to get a bunch of listeners out of it, then hopefully those listeners are going to be the ones to, to uh, you know, help help spread the word um, about your music. And whether they're coming to a show or picking up a record or a T-shirt or whatever, you know, that's to be determined. But it's a, that's a numbers game. And and rather than fight that. You'd, you'd rather embrace it and, and say, hey, you can check it out for free, you know. And there's a lot of, a lot of people, especially the younger, uh, younger folks that have never known anything except free music. So whereas, you know, when I was in eighth grade, I was looking at the bands that the bands I was into were thanking on their records and going and just buying them on a whim. Yeah, I think totally. that era is, is long gone. And rather than being jaded about that, say, hey, like, <laughs> you know, you can check out my record for totally free. So if you don't like it, you didn't lose anything. And if you do like it, then hopefully you tell somebody or you come to my show um, and you just find a way to let it grow from there. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, I mean, there are fantastic platforms for discovery. You might ask, why spend a couple hundred bucks on making a music video? It's going to go on YouTube for free consumption. Why bother? You could be using that for something else. It's because it's a great way to reach people and be invited into their homes or onto their laptop or their phone. And, you know, if you're a touring musician, it's a great way to connect with people. When you get the digital statements saying... You know, you have this many iTunes downloads and this many from Amazon, and then you see the little sliver that comes from Spotify, you're like, 
I'll take that dollar. You know, <laughs> you're not you're not going to say no. So, you know, it's a great way to connect with people, and it really comes down to having diverse revenue streams. You're playing shows, you're streaming, you're you know selling T-shirts. That all of those different things come together to make the whole. Um, that is the engine for your business or your band. Something I saw recently in uh, Fast Company on their website, and I thought this was really interesting. And of course. No surprise, given who it is, Lady Gaga is doing something you know different and experimental, and her next record, her third album, Art Pop, is going to be, first and foremost, an app, like for smartphones and tablets and PCs and you know Macs. So instead of just going and buying a CD, the whole album experience will be centralized around a mobile app, and then I think it'll kind of build from there. Like, Thoughts on that from a creative standpoint as an artist or a business standpoint, you know, from where you guys are sitting? Go for it, guys. Everyone's chomping at the bit up here. We're like, I want to talk about Gaga. <laughs> yeah. I, the, actually, Bjork released her last album as an app, and it was really crazy. I mean, all of this stuff is so cool. I mean, creativity is, is rising to the top. No longer can you just do the set standard. Like, the, the, the true thinkers and the true creatives... They're rising to the top, and I like it. I like it, too. I think it's a really cool idea. Um, but at the same time, as a music fan who who does know mediums of music beyond just the app and what's on this thing, um, you know, I it's a little saddening to, to see the... The, you know the CD dwindling, the cassette dwindling, but there are still people who 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 are collectors. You know, and I think that on a smaller level, while while this is a great idea um, as far as it being something new uh, to get your music out, um, I think that that the old mediums shouldn't necessarily be completely ignored. And um, on a smaller level, that's why I still do physical CDs with artwork, with individual artwork for those. Um, releases because I I feel like there are people who who do view it as you know as a collection as a piece of 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 art as something that they will want tangible because when everything's intangible then what what does it really mean anyway you know so I think that em embracing what what what's happening here and embracing uh, whilst still still um, uh, building upon and 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 um, not not abandoning what got you to this point in the first place um, to a certain extent. That's where I'm coming from. It's just cool because the value is actually going to the music and to the band and to the artists themselves rather than like to a physical product. So that, that's kind of how I see that. Sure, bit. sure. Yeah, I mean, that's another way to look at it. But, you know, from a fan perspective, I feel like, like uh, you know, once you, as an artist, when you lose the... The connection between, uh, you know, what what you know, if your favorite band did this, would you think it was cool? That's how I like to think about what I'm doing and how I'm releasing stuff. And I feel like if 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 I woke up in the morning and I had the I'm gonna release my my EPs as as apps idea, I'd probably be pretty happy about it. But I'd still release a you know like like um, a physical copy as well. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a healthy combination of trying to 
to reach new people, but also try to really satisfy those who are truly fans of what you're doing already. You know, um, it's like if your two biggest fans is you know your little brother and your mom, which in the case of me it is. Um, it's like what <laughs> they forgetting me, school? okay, yeah, and, Mark, and forgetting Bill, me. You know, my mom doesn't know what an what an app is. You know, unfortunately for her, but <laughs> um, I, I think it's easier to do something so cool like that when you have such a giant audience already. Um, Lady Gaga is a great example of someone who's just dominant on social media and can do something like this and it'll reach so many people. But what is cool about it is that it could be something that a more up-and-coming artist could do. It's somebody that you could find a way to do something cool um, and do something different and help stand out a little bit. And I think you know, overall it, it's, it's all about finding ways for those quality artists to find ways to get noticed. And if, if an app is the way to do it, then, then do it, you know? Um, it's like I'm not really into paying for too many apps on my, on my phone. But at the same time, if, if one of my favorite artists did something, I'd probably pay for it. So um, you just got to, you know, kind of weigh, weigh out the, the technology side of it with the artist integrity side of it and try to do something cool for your fans and then also for new people to, to hopefully catch on to. Yeah, novelty is so awesome. That's been like a pervasive element in marketing, you know, since products have been born. So it's like you've got your little orphan Annie decoder ring when you're listening to the radio in, you know, the 20s and 30s, or sticky fingers like Rolling Stones with an actual zipper on the LP album cover. Like, those are great, cool things. If you can harness new media, you know, in whatever way it is, there's actually um, a really cool program called App. Guppy, app Guppy, um, that allows you to create your own band app for free. So basically, you like put your Facebook URL in there, you put your YouTube URL, you know, Flickr, and so on, and it just integrates all of these websites into a single app that your fans can download. So again, you're being like invited into your fans' pocket, you know, in their little Android or whatever, and uh, you know, how can you use the things that you're passionate about to connect with your audience? So if it's apps because your market are tweens and techies and whatever, or you know, maybe you put out a tape cassette that comes with something cool. It doesn't necessarily have to be tech or otherwise. I'm downloading App Guppy as we speak. <laughs> and I like what I you said about condensing some of the social media. It's kind of crazy how many social media sites there are and how many keep coming out that are telling you you have to you have to be on this one too, you have to be on this one too, and they're all providing such a similar service. And you find yourself as an artist saying, how can I be funny on Twitter today instead of how can I make this hook better? You know, and that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah, and, and, I, and I do think that, you know, uh, social media is a great thing, and I think it should be embraced, and it's even cooler when the artist themselves is truly the one updating it, not some kind of social media bot, et cetera. Um, but, you know, finding a way, way to condense all that, you know, into, like, an app where everything is in one place, that's really cool, because then the photos you're taking, the statuses you're updating, the music you're putting out is all right there. Instead of being like, oh, we'll click on this one to then click on this one to then click on this one, it just gets a little bit out of control. And I think at some point, people are going to get real tired of that, and it's going to go back to what they're actually hearing and not just what they're seeing. Because they're lazy, because, because right. people are inherently lazy now. Yeah. No, I mean... With discussing the apps and everything, um, this kind of goes into adaptation. But did anyone else hear, just like hear that 12-year-old, like obnoxious 12-year-old kid in his room screaming to his mom, "Mom, my uh, my iTunes gift card ran out. I need more apps. You know, just, just like <laughs> refill it." 
that's uh, that's that's just like it's definitely um, it's just it's just kind of interesting and scary to me a little bit, but it's a part of it, I guess. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, if any of the artists or, or John also, you know, being in the industry, if anyone here has seen what's going on with Artist.mtv, which is a new platform that is launching in beta, it's integrating with um, Topspin. And I think, Mark, it's, it's kind of looking to fill the role of what you guys are talking about, and, and Alex as well, of kind of being a one-stop, MySpace-esque hub for artists. Not the social side of MySpace, but in terms of being a one-stop hub. You know, I was, I was wondering if you guys had seen anything about that or had any feelings about it. Yeah, I, I haven't personally checked that out yet, but uh, based on what you're saying, I, w- I absolutely will. I'm a beta tester for the MTV Artist Profile program. Um, it's pretty cool. You upload stuff on it. There's a point where you get kind of sick of re-uploading the same MP3s and JPEGs and whatever. And you know, the question was, when do you come back to the music and start really shredding? You know, beyond the the kind of social media. But you know, there's there's a lot of really cool tech startups like music dealers. I remember hearing about you guys and was really excited about that pioneering the licensing. Um, there's another website in Chicago called OurLabel.com. They're trying to get street teams together so you can be an independent artist and organize a street team with tasks like repost our tour dates and then reward people with free concert tickets and stuff. So there's all of these like really interesting avenues, but again, you have to wonder like what works for me? Like, Is this MTV profile going to work for me? Am I going to reach new markets or existing ones? Should I delete my MySpace account? I've been asking that for like two years. <laughs> yeah. There's so many views. It's a separate panel. I don't want to delete it because so many people, you know, there's 100,000 views or whatever. But then at the same time, like, when was the last time I updated it? Right. Do I remember my password? <laughs> um, so, you know, like, how do you, how do you integrate all these things? And, and what's the point, you know? Like, there's a lot of people who just like Twitter, a lot of people who just like Facebook. Are you going to be a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and send out confusing messages to different markets or whatever? I don't know. It's, it's a very exciting time to experiment. Well, you know, we have covered so much in this panel. At the same time, I think we could go for like five more hours and not even run out of things to talk about. It's a very expansive topic. But I wanted to open up the floor in case anyone here had any questions. We have a wireless mic. Uh, you know, if you want to just come up to the front here, is that the best way we're thinking to do it, Layla? I think so, probably, yeah. So if anyone has any questions, I don't know if anyone here wanted to ask any of the panelists here any questions about this topic. Ask us questions. Not a single soul. Maybe just raise your hand. There we go. And and Layla here has a wireless mic, so you can go right up to that and get right on this podcast. All right, so I'm Tom Linson-Fort, and I play in Cobalt and the Hired Guns. And my question has to do more with gaining large-scale exposure when you don't have a large industry push behind you like a $500,000 investment from Coca-Cola or a, you know, a big record company that you are kind of shackled into a contract but also believes in you as putting you on tour, as putting you opening for large bands and then you know, making sure that you are that large band the next time you go out on the road. What do you recommend to to artists who are more interested in gaining that level of exposure than monetizing that yet? Because Spotify, to me, sounds like a great idea. I don't care about six cents versus 610. 
I care about another 6,000 people hearing the song. I care about another 60,000 people hearing the song. I think the great thing about the, the sync and the licensing world is that the trend right now, brands are trying to help launch the new thing. A lot of brands, they, they don't necessarily care about huge bands that are buzzing now. They're looking for the next cool brand that, that, that kind of goes, goes in hand with the target market that they're trying to hit, even if you have a thousand followers on Twitter. Like, it, it doesn't really matter. So I, I, I think even though that you're, you're at that beginning stage, I think still trying to link with brands right now, brands that targeting brands that, that your band fits with is, is very important and it's very doable. Yeah, I, I think there's, um, I don't know, there, there's, no, there's no quick fix, you know, um, and, and it's almost like a, a term that's been thrown around for years like in the entertainment business is catching a break. You also got to go out there and try to make your breaks happen, you know, um, and that, that involves going on, on tours where you're playing in front of very few people, but those tours give you some character and help develop you as an artist and they make you stronger so that when there are people there, you know how to actually perform to them. Uh, something that I noticed with my former band Spittlefield and now with myself as a singer-songwriter is that I see footage and I hear recordings from the earlier stages and then the later stages and I'm thinking, well, it, you know, may, maybe it's unfortunate we haven't caught our break here or here or here, but I'm glad it happened here because we were a better artist. And I, I think the, the content is, is just so important. And, and unfortunately, in a digital era with a lot of, you know, a lot of flooding of a lot of different markets and a lot of different genres and everything else, you know, uh, sometimes the most important part gets overlooked, which is what you're doing. And, and unfortunately, like I said, there's no, there's no quick answer to say like, well, you do this and then bam, you know, because if there was, everybody would do it. Um, so I think it is important to to develop those relationships with the small promoters, with other bands, to connect with other, other artists that are in a similar spot to you, to be trading, this is kind of an old school mentality, but trade trade shows with that band in, you know, Northwest Indiana that has 40 friends there, and you have your 50 friends here, and you guys can play in front of each other's crowds. And it, you got to start somewhere, you know, build locally, build regionally. And yeah, every once in a while, take a stab at it. Get in the van and drive and play some shows you might lose some money on. But at the end of the day, you, you don't, there's, no, there's no quick pay to play you know, in, the, in the big picture. And if you're getting sucked into like websites that say, you pay us $20, we'll check out this MP3, an industry professional will listen and give you feedback, that's a load of crap. Um, so don't do that. Spend your $20 on gas money to get you to the next gig, you know? Um, and, and keep doing what you do, you know? Get good at it. Yeah, that, that's great input because, you know, going to Grand Rapids and Champaign and Milwaukee and those 40 people that you meet, that will snowball. And those promoters, if they're doing a good job, will develop and you'll develop with them. So next year they might be, you know, booking a festival in the parking lot of the venue that they were once booking at. So just growing at a comfortable pace is a great way to do it and having plenty of merch to, like, lubricate you know, you're, you're right over there for sure, even if it's just like CDRs and buttons, something cheap. People love like $1 things. I'm really cheap. I like cheap merch. Um, you know, like $10 spray paint shirts and buttons and stuff like that. Um, those are the things that are most charming and collectible, you know, and just save that cash and keep growing it. 
Yeah, I think bundling, like talking about merchandising for anybody who's like, you know, in a band or upcoming or whatever, you know, merchandising is, is very important. Um, you want to obviously have some cool stuff and have new things for your fans that are truly your fans to, to reinvest in because they're the ones who kind of keep you afloat. Um, but, you know, it, it's like when you have an album that ultimately you end up pressing through like disc makers or something and you, you look at the amount of records you have and if you sold them at $10 each, how much money you would make. But the reality is that, you know, if you sold a t-shirt for $15 and added in your CD for free, you know it costs you a lot more, you know, to make that record. The, you know, the heart and soul that went into it, not to mention the recording budget or whatever, whatever it is you're doing. So... I think like you know bundling merchandising or bundling merchandise is important having an online store is important so people can support you from all over if they want to pick up your stuff or wear your you know a shirt with your name on it because that that to me is is priceless you know the word of mouth the actual um, the actual grassroots stuff which you see less and less of I think will make a return um, and maybe that's just wishful thinking but um, I'd like to think that once everybody's gotten way too much stuff thrown at them, they're eventually going to go to what they truly love. I, uh, I sell a custom William Beckett Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Do you really? Yes. That is awesome. And that's the truth. <laughs> and, it's, and it's just fun and collectible. And it's unique. There aren't any other bands that are like putting out their own Rubik's Cubes. That's kind of like a unique standalone. You know, I mean, I think that the common theme through everything we've talked about is really it seems to be you need to give your audience some kind of value, some kind of content, something that they will have a reason to invest in, whether it's their time or their money or their interest or, or you know, their social networking or, or any of that. You know, it seems that it really comes down to have something worthwhile to offer people. Let's do one more question if anyone here has a question. All right, great. Um, Layla will have the mic, and then we'll kind of like close it down. And make sure you give your name, so. Oh, I'm James, uh, justprevailsand.com. I don't know if this is follows under the same, um, what we've been talking about, but my fans have amnesia. Like, they come out, and they're like, oh, this is a great show, and then I don't see them again. And then they come out to another show, like, three, four months later. It's like, oh, that was a good show. And then they bring their friends, and then their friends just kind of disappear. How can I stop that from happening from my end? Have them sign up for a mailing list when yeah. you see them. Do you, did you email them after that? Okay. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Therein lies, I mean, I don't know. Let's get creative. What do you think? Yeah. Um, one thing that I do personally is um, it, being a singer-songwriter allows you to be really flexible to reinvent yourself and have performances be unique, you know, so that the next time you're coming through, you're doing something a little different. Maybe For not sure. the same set that they've already heard. Maybe you have other musicians you're collaborating with or you have a different type of thing you're doing. Um, at the end of the day, they, they like you and they like what you're doing, so now take what you're doing and do something fun for you that could also be fun for them. Yeah, that's a good idea. Even something as simple, and it's not necessarily simple, because after a show and after a, a full day of you know travel and whatever, but a, as an artist, what I've always done since the very beginning was I, I've stayed after the show and spoken to each and every person until they're all gone. And a lot of times that's like even having 20-minute conversations with someone while there's still a line behind. But um, to me, I, I really enjoy connecting with the people that connect with what I do. And I, I feel like w when, when you're just being genuine, a genuine human being with people and showing them who you are uh, um, besides just a, a performer on a stage, 
Um, I, I feel like that has really helped me in my career uh, just not only um, sustain and build on my fan base, but uh, it, it also means a lot more to me because I'm, I'm getting to know them as well. And I think it's important too to, to, to realize that, you know, uh, if they see you on show number one and they're not at show number two, it doesn't mean that they're done. You know, they, they could be busy, they could have other things going on. I mean, ultimately, we, we put so much weight on those fans when, when it's a smaller fan base, and it's important to, to connect with them, like, like Bill's talking about, and to get their information so you can reach out to them, um, like that, like the email list, et cetera. Um, but also, you know, do yourself the favor of not being bummed about it, because as long as you're doing what you're loving to do, you know, and if you're putting on a show that you think is great, and if they can't come to this one, then think that they will come to the next one, or find a way to let them know about the next one if they miss that one. Let them know that you know that they weren't there, but that you're looking forward to seeing them again, you know, yeah, without, maybe, without being yeah. a jerk about it. Yeah, maybe the Game of Thrones finale was on that night, and they just couldn't pull away, you know? I mean, I can relate. And, you know, sometimes you ask your fans, like, hey, what happened? You know, and then you find out, well, that's the venue where people don't like to go anymore. Or, you know, there's, like, a change of management. Or your show was, like, five bucks when I went last year, and now it's 15 bucks because of whatever, con you know, whatever happened. So, like, it, it probably doesn't hurt to ask, too. Like, hey, I missed you. What happened? You know, it's like, oh, well, everyone lives in this neighborhood now. And it's hard to know that when you, you know, you're going to New Orleans or you're going to Madison. Like, it's hard to have your finger on the pulse all the time of every city. But why not ask? Or have a different costume for every show. Ooh. I like that concept. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> that would be cool. Like, you know. There's this band called The Spits, and sometimes they're always like valedictorians with like mortarboards and graduation gowns. Or like they'll be every character from McDonald's, like Grimace and <laughs> Ronald McDonald and the Hamburglar. So like you know, if you if you get people excited in that newsletter, maybe you'll get a reaction if you do something kind of so just and ridiculous. yeah. So just dress just up like the Hamburglar. Yeah, I think that's, that's the that's key the takeaway from this panel. Hamburglar. Ron, Ronald McDonald and a really sad dog named Sunday. You guys should Google that. He did? It's a sad clown dog. I... <laughs> when? I don't know. I have to year. Google that, yeah. Um, You're not alone, though. You know, it, it happens to musicians of all sizes, you know, when they return to a place. So why not ask? Right, and it's frustrating, and try not to let that, you know, shine through, you know, like when you're communicating with them. Because, I mean, it's tough, and I, I've been there for sure. You wonder, like, oh, you come in all these shows, and you just suddenly stop, and you're like, are you not a fan anymore? Do you not like what I do anymore? You know? It's like, no, you're just playing my city once a week. So. <laughs> right, right, that too. I really want to thank everyone who took the time to be on this panel tonight. Uh, Miss Alex White, Mark Rose, John Williamson, William Beckett. Let's give it up for all of them. They were fantastic tonight. <laughs> Offering up some really invaluable insight. Um, so thank you guys so much for taking the time and really like sharing all these things and, and sharing your thoughts. You know, and... I really want to thank everybody who made it out here tonight, everyone who's listening to this at home over Ustream or Mixler, everyone who's listening or watching this in the future as a podcast or a video, anyone who's checking this out, thank you. And also, sincere thanks, as always, Billy Deck, Tim Toomey, the entire Rocket Ranch Productions family for hosting us here tonight. Greatly appreciated. Uh, Chelsea Moran, 
Um, Colleen Mares, Layla Royale, all of whom handling audio and video for this. My name is Haima Black. I host Dynasty Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Dynasty Podcasts or find us on Tumblr, dynastypodcast.tumblr.com. Thank you again to everybody who came out here. Have a good night. This has been the Dynasty Podcast Rocket Live Panelcast Series. Thanks to William Beckett, Ms. Alex White, John Williamson, and Mark Rose for sitting in on this panel. Rocket Live is hosted at Rocket Bar and Grill in downtown Chicago, with special thanks to Billy Deck and Tim Toomey. Rocket Live is engineered by Layla I. Royale, with video by Colleen Maris and Chelsea Morin. You can find Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black, Dynasty Descend.